This is Sports Best on the Believe Podcast Network. We are presented by Reposted for each and every week. We cut out the worst. And Larry, we only bring them the best. Guys, stick around. Coming up, we have an interview. We sat down with John Solomon earlier this week of the Aspen Institute. He is the director of the Sports and Society Program. We talk a lot about cool stuff with youth sports and what's going on with that. What's new, Larry? Can I say that after that interview, you turned to me and said, I actually learned something today. I did. I did. Normally, it, I don't it, learn anything. It, but... so it implies that you don't normally learn anything. Yeah, I actively go through life being like <laughs> blinders. I can't, I can't handle any more information. It just seems great to say that we are having somebody on from the Aspen Institute. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. John Solomon coming up. Um, the baseball season is, is rolling, Andrew. The baseball season, they're like a little bit more than halfway through the 60-game season. They're like 34 yeah. uh, games of the season. Real quickly, just to go through the standings, who do you think has the best record in baseball? The Dodgers. That is kind of true. The Dodgers have the best record at 26-10 and 10 in the National League. In the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays have the best record at 25-11. and 11. Oh. I think it's exciting that we're still going because, remember, earlier there was that hiccup and everyone's like, baseball should be canceled. But uh, they, they put their head down and it seems like they kind of hit their stride. For the record, there is a little bit of like a bigger hiccup out of the A's, the Oakland A's. So they had the uh, social injustice protest last week. So they postponed their games Thursday in Arizona. Then they went to Houston and the Astros wanted a socially unjust protest. So they canceled the game Friday. They had a doubleheader Saturday. Then they tested positive for COVID on Sunday. Then because they tested positive, they can't play their games through Wednesday. So like in a five-day span, the A's won't have played. So there's some COVIDs running around out there. Well, I mean, I think it's running around everywhere in the world. So it's (laughs) not too surprising, but it's good that they're finding ways to keep going. So earlier this week was the trade deadline in baseball. Which teams think that they have a chance to win this is a shortened 60-game season? The, by far, runners away of who, they think, who thinks they're going to win is the San Diego Padres. Mm. I know you're in the SoCals. You, do you like the Padres? I don't like the Padres. I'm what? a Rangers fan. I grew you up suck. a Rangers fan. The Padres are my Eight third favorite, favorite baseball third. team. Third. Third okay. favorite baseball team. Okay. I love the Padres. Petco Park, there's nothing better. Anyways, they had – Six trades involving five teams and 26 players on Monday's trade deadline. I read that, and I don't want to say anything because it's not (laughs) official yet, but three players are yet to be named. So keep an eye out. I might be playing for the Padres later this week. Well, you know, you are Mike Trout's body double, so I feel like you got a lot of value. (laughs) Right. I got the hand-eye coordination. I'm going to be hitting, hitting. I'm going yard. (laughs) <laughs> the Padres sit at 21 to 15, third best record of the National League behind your Dodgers. They are 24 games away from their first postseason berth since the Neolithic era. They have not, no, Neo, the Neolithic era. They have not been playing since we made uh, steel into, into sports. That's the oh last Oh, my time. goodness. Well, <laughs> I checked it out this morning, and the Dodgers and the Yankees are at plus 450 if you uh, bet for them to win the World Series. And maybe if you think these trades are a good deal, the Padres are sitting at plus 3,000. So that might be a good bet for the Padres. Hey, can you help me? I know that I like a good sports bet. What does plus 450 mean? I don't understand that. It means you're going to win money. Okay. Okay. That's what that means. So baseball, you got all these different trades going. They're making moves. One of my favorite things about baseball is the stats, right? Or the the, the random numbers. So... April 23rd, 1999, Fernando Tatis made baseball history. He had two grand slams and one inning. 
Tony Gwynn had more four-hit games than he did two strikeout games. Wow. And then until August 31st, Monday of this year, number 89 had never been worn in a Major League Baseball what? game. Yeah. Been You're, around look, for 150 years. Nobody wore 89. Not until, not until Monday. M- Miguel Yurahe, I don't know how to say his name, Yurahe. of the Yankees, came in as a relief pitcher. He retired the side with six pitches, and the Yankees still ended up losing. But it's crazy that you would think with this much history that every number would have been worn. But numbers 86, 89, and 92 until this year had never been worn in a game, and all three were worn in August of this year. Wait a minute. Are you telling me for all of the history of baseball, nobody's ever worn the number 89? No. Which, That's insane. It's insane because I feel like if I was a – just an average player, I'd be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be at the show for a couple of games. Yeah. Oh, that one's never been worn. Then you go down in history. You're a history maker. Well, and now who, Mr. Eighty Nine, Miguel Urahe? Yeah. He's he's now part of history. He could literally just be having a cup of coffee with the Yankees and then leave and never heard of. But now he's gonna be the guy that wore eighty nine. Yeah, he was the first player to ever wear eighty nine for the Yankees and for Major League Baseball. Is this like, is there like some sort of curse on eighty nine that like people are like, oh, well, I can't touch eighty nine. It just makes me think of a tight end. It's a tight end number. It is a total tight end number. It's a total tight end. And listen, I got to be honest. I just skimmed that story, and I thought it was like this year that someone got 89 for the first time. I cannot believe that nobody in baseball has ever won the number 89. That's wild. That's insane. That's insane. Turning to our you can teach an old dog new tricks file, Andrew Keller. <laughs> you know how old Vin Scully is? He's in his 90s, I think. He is 92 years old. You know what he's doing right now? He's recovering from a fall in his driveway. That's true. But he's also going on a social media blitz. He's 92 years old, and this week he's going on Twitter, at the Vince Goley, Instagram, at the Vince Goley. He's opening a Facebook account, Vince Goley, and he's opening up his own website, DodgersVinceGoley.com. All of these are going to launch in October, but he's (laughs) – He's, he's going after the social medias, Andrew. Are you going to follow him? I, I didn't think I was going to, mm-hmm. but then I read a little bit more about what DodgersVinScully.com, the website, is going to be, and they're hoping it's going to be like this virtual museum. They're going to put, like, all of his best calls in there, like the Kirk Gibson call from 88, some of the uh, uh, Don Larson's perfect game. So they're going to put some, like, sort of memorabilia there. So I probably go to the website, might not follow him on the Twitters. I saw that he did make a statement. He's like, I will quote i will not use twitter for any controversy in any shape or form which i love at 92 he's still aware that twitter is such a volatile space to be in well the funny thing is has vince Soli ever been in any sort of um controversy whatsoever over the course of his career not i think nothing. i think there's one what on september 22nd 2016 i'm gonna debate larry this. robert olson profile picture had a picture of vince Scully and said enough is enough basically challenging him to quit and retire i never said that that it's, i feel like you're putting words in my mouth i checked it this morning september 22nd 2016 i feel like i hate to use it that's fake news that's fake news well okay let's just assume that's not real mm. i love that even vin scully has to tell people that i'm gonna go on twitter and be a nice guy like even in this day and age, listen i'm just gonna go i'm gonna be a nice guy yeah Twitter do is ever, Do you ever use Twitter to instigate? Uh, um, no. 
I say some things that might instigate, but I never like once again, who's listening to me? Right? I'm a five ten white guy from Whittier. Like, who cares about my Twitter? I follow feed? you. But yeah, what if we talk every day? Do you go on Twitter <laughs> to instigate? No, I don't really. I don't really tweet. It, uh, oh, you don't. I feel like I never know. I know. I, I take a Vin Scully approach. I don't want to create controversy of any shape or form. Okay. I mean, you brought this to my attention. I was it last week or whatever. You're like, Twitter's a dumpster fire. Everybody oh, hates each other. It stresses Twitter. me out. I look at the trending. Oh, it stresses me out. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter change your ways. John Solomon is the editorial director of the Sports Society Program for the Aspen Institute and Project Play, which aims to build healthy communities through sports. John was a sports journalist in his former life covering college football and the NCAA. He has all sorts of insightful articles up on the Aspen Institute website like why good coaches matter and the pressure on kids to make the NBA is scary. Before we get into some of the big questions, let's first start with a quote from John Wooden who said, young people need models, not critics. I get what Mr. Wooden was saying here. Of course, I need role models today. But, you know, when it comes to playing soccer, I could not model that to my kids. <laughs> no, it's uh, – I mean, John Wooden is an insightful guy, though. But the travel sports industry is, uh, is a unique place. I'll tell you the, what, the, the quote that I love best from John Wooden, and I don't have it off the top of my head exactly, but his definition of success, which is a tremendous because it, it just talks about how – just trying to be the best of who you are. And, and essentially, that's, that's good enough. You know, John, well, we, could go, we could talk John Wooden quotes. We can go back and forth all day long. You know, when you talk about success, and you were – you mentioned that you were on your bio. You said that you've coached a couple of your kids' soccer teams. Like, how do you measure success for a young athlete, whether it's um, winning, losing, getting them introduced to just playing with each other? What was sort of your mentality as a coach? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think as a coach, and I also view this as a parent as well, and I've coached my sons um, in soccer and, and basketball and a little bit of baseball, you always want to see improvement and kids having fun and having confidence. And the absolutely worst thing that would ever happen to me as a coach is if a kid quits the sport a following season, not necessarily just my team, but the sport in general, because of something that may have occurred on my team, you know, it, if the coach was pushing too hard, if it just wasn't a fun experience, if there was, you know, bullying involved, if the, if the kid wasn't getting enough playing time, um, you know, I'm, we're a believer at Project Play that, you know, kids should be getting equal playing time, essentially equal playing time, till about the age of 12, you know, or 13, or at least that age. Uh, because different kids grow into their minds and their bodies and their interests just at different stages. And what happens a lot of times in youth sports is we're we're discarding them, we're, we're weeding them out at really young ages, one, based on, on income, which is a whole other conversation, but two, also based on talent. And we don't necessarily need the best eight-year-old basketball player or soccer player right now. We want that kid still playing basketball or some other sport at 15, 16, and then being athletes for life so they enjoy all the benefits that come with being physically active. So after I became an adult, I looked back and I saw the importance sports had in my life but I remember having knockdown, drag out fights with my parents being like, I quit. I don't want to do this. Like, how do you handle that with your kids? Or I guess what's your philosophy in general on like the balance of encouraging kids to continue versus like forcing them to do something that like they ultimately don't want to do? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, I found out pretty at a pretty early age of my kids that 
you can't force them to play sports, right? It's kind of like forcing young kids to eat broccoli, you know, or some vegetable they don't want. Like, they're just going to spit it out if you're force feeding it and they don't want it. So you have to make it enjoyable. You have to make sure that it's something they want to do and understand what experience it is that they like, what it is they like out of sports. You know, maybe as a dad, I want my son to play soccer, but that's not my son's favorite sport, at least not right now. Okay, so we don't do soccer, you know, for right now. But, our, you know, our number one strategy at Project Play is ask kids what they want. And it sounds really basic, um, but a lot of adults don't. Um, kids, ultimately, it's their experience. You know, we had our experience as kids when we played sports and some good, some bad. Let's still let, let the kids dictate, you know, what they want their experiences to be with our support and help. And a big guideline that I have, at least with my kids, is, all right, if you're going to start a sport in a particular season, you do have to finish that season. That's really important with me. So there's, you know, we're not quitting on the team. We're not just having, creating that mindset of quitting as well. But look, at the end of the season, if you don't like that sport, okay, let's have a conversation and, and we're, we'll maybe try a different sport or take a break, you know, this particular season. John, I don't mean to be the critic here, but it seems like you guys at the Aspen Institute and Project Player are rolling the ball uphill. Ask kids what they want and equal play and not necessarily care about the winning. You're almost trying to reinvent the wheel with youth sports. Yeah, we are. <laughs> but I think, we're I think we're trying to get back to what youth sports um, used to be. I mean, this is how I, I viewed it more as sports. I'm 44 years old. You know, growing up, there was not as many travel sports and elite competitive teams and showcase events. Um, and that's not to say that some of those events and organizations and tournaments don't have some value. There's a lot of parents do see value in it and enjoy it. But it's also leaving a lot of people behind this competitive structure and it's become highly commercialized. And I, and I say commercialized and not professionalized intentionally. If it was professionalized, we'd have a lot more standards about, okay, what does return to play look like? When should you return? When should you not? What, are, what does coach training look like? The vast majority of, of youth sports coaches, who many of them are volunteers, are not trained in anything. But this is a highly commercialized industry. It's, it's about a, a $30 billion industry in the United States alone. Um, there's a lot of people's livelihoods are involved in kids' sports, people making sometimes you know, six figures, even seven figures in some cases as, as CEOs. So the point is, is that we want to uh, focus on physical literacy and enjoyment, and that is going to create lifelong athletes. Again, like as I said earlier, we may have the best eight, nine, 10-year-old athlete. You can identify them at some point, but at what point if they're playing sports way too much or being run into the ground? Are they going to have overuse injuries? Are they going to have burnout and just decide to quit? You know, we have data showing that the average child quits the sport by about age 11. And it's because it stopped being fun. And then when you, when you research and ask kids, the number one thing they want out of sports is just a fun experience and being with teammates. And winning, while important to some kids, collectively, it ranks a lot lower in terms of what they want. Project Play has eight different plays, and number seven is train all coaches that seems like an obvious thing to focus on I can think of coaches that greatly impacted my life positively and negatively what's your guys's approach to train all coaches I mean that's kind of a broad term but what are you guys focusing on to accomplish that yeah you know it is broad and, and it's hard because youth sports is so fractured it's, it's fragmented there's no sport ministry in our country you know like in other countries around the world um, just a little bit of background, some history, you know, the, there's the Amateur Sports Act that was created in 1978 by Congress, 
that essentially put the, the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee and their national governing bodies, the sports, in charge of amateur sports in the United States. Um, that's in the charter. But what became of that in the Olympic movement was really the, the hyper-focus on the elite athletes and the Olympic hopefuls, as opposed to like really the grassroots level. So, you know, one thing that the USOPC and, you know, Nike in partnership with Project Play, we've, you know, created a website called howtocoachkids.org. And it's just a, a, a easy online 30-minute tool where people can go and, and get resources and get, you know, video training and different, you know, um, resources by topic and audience, you know, how to coach girls, how to coach by different sports. That's one way to do it. You know, we also have some resources called Calls for Coaches. It's at as.pn backslash calls for coaches. And these are like checklists and tip sheets and videos to help coaches promote personal development in the athletes as well. So social and emotional learning, setting goals, you know, um, building self-esteem, building confidence. All these are tips for coaches to better connect and relate with their players one is just going to make your team better and be more successful if you're able to communicate. We've seen a lot of, you know, college and pro coaches taking this approach much more. The less of the, you know, the, the really demanding coach who's, you know, screaming and yelling and more of, hey, let's, let's make sure this is a, a positive experience and we're trying to grow them personally as well. All right, John, we wanted to have you on today to chat, chat, chat about youth sports like tomorrow, as in how are we supposed to handle everything that's going on in the world Oh, no, yeah, should my kid play soccer in a pandemic? Do you have any insights on this about kids going back to sports this fall specifically? Yeah, so I think a couple things. One is it's, it's going to depend on what your, the, the virus looks like locally on the ground, where you are in the community. And I strongly advise, listen to the scientists, listen to the public health experts. Those are the most important people to listen to. It's ultimately very much a personal decision from, you know, for a lot of parents. Um, but I think it's very important to listen to the health experts uh, returning to sports in phases is, is very important. By that meaning, okay, maybe it's, you're not ready to do a full-fledged game, you know, or the travel sports, but we can do individual training or we can do some practices, but with the right social distancing and some of the right guidelines, or we can play local games right now, or we could play intramural sports within our schools, but maybe not other schools yet, you know, for travel purposes. So a lot of creative ways you can still try to play sports without rushing full speed back into um, particularly the travel sports experience, which we've seen a lot have, have rushed back. And um, a lot of public health experts have said that really should be the last phase, the travel phase of sports coming back because it's larger gatherings and you're bringing different people from different communities together and potentially spreading the virus. So you spent some time working in college, covering college sports and two of the big five conferences are going back and it's fractured three aren't going back do you see the decisions made at the collegiate and pro level impacting what decisions people make at the youth level yeah no it's a good question i mean uh, in some cases that it's played out that way and in many other cases it, it hasn't so for instance um you know the big 10 of course you know shut down football you know for the fall and postponed it uh but in the state of pennsylvania you know where you have a major university penn state a big 10 member they're going ahead with fall high school sports. Um, but it was, a, it was a major dilemma. The, the governor of Pennsylvania has said his recommendation is don't bring back youth sports and high school sports until January at the earliest. But the Pennsylvania High School Athletic Association and some state legislators, and there was a lot of pushback on it, said, 
no, we want to we want to come back right now. So it, it really varies. There are differences as as well in some cases because you know high school sports, depending on the sport, depending on your schedule, you may not be traveling as much, and you could have appropriate social distancing. Um, whereas college football, you're you're going to be traveling to different parts of the country. Football is also a sport with large roster sizes, of course, and a lot of contact. Whereas you know cross country or golf or tennis, you know, or baseball, some of those other sports may be easier to bring back. Literally, I got a thousand more questions, but I'm being given the rap signal in my earphones. John Tallon, the editorial director of the Sports and Society Program for the Aspen Institute and Project Play. He's a great follow on the Twitters, at John Solomon Aspen, heavy on the college football, which I love, by the way. John, thank you for your time today. Sure, thanks for having me. Larry, if you were a professional athlete and you held the record of the most titles across the sport ever, would you keep going? I feel like what you're saying is if I was a really successful tennis player, right. would I be playing tennis or smoking a cigar in Fiji? And the yeah. answer is I'd be smoking a cigar in Fiji. I believe that's the answer you're looking yeah. for. Well, the U.S. Open tennis tournament was supposed to be earlier this year. They postponed it. It started on Monday as we record this on Tuesday, September 1st. Serena Williams is going to start down the path to go for her 24th Grand Slam victory. That's I love Serena Williams. So many. She hasn't won a Grand Slam in almost four years. It's been 44 months. But perspective, she has 23 Grand Slams. Steffi Graf has 22. The next highest for men is Roger Federer at 20. So, like, she is at the top of the mountain, and she wants to keep going up. I love it. I'm going to watch. Sports. Best challenge question for you, Andrew Keller. Have you ever watched a tennis match on TV through its completion? Yes. From beginning to You have. Tennis is huge in my family. My grandfather had a tennis pro shop in, in his hometown. I played tennis a lot growing up. Oh, um, I did not know that. Wimbledon is my favorite tournament. I love watching the progression of the grass dying throughout because they're all standing in the same spot. So I think Serena has a good shot because six of the top 10 players opted out of playing in this tournament. She's currently number eight in the world. So she could, she could go all the way through. You know, I feel like it's at the U S open maybe a couple of years ago that she was pregnant and won it while she was, I think pregnant. was the Australian. Or maybe it was like, like early on in her pregnancy, she was pregnant and still won the Australian open. Yeah. She's That's amazing. awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd keep going. I think I'd stop at 23 and say Michael Jordan is enough. I mean, I feel like me and you are just, I don't know. I'm speaking for myself, but I would be like, I'm out. I'm on Fiji smoking a cigar. Yeah, as soon as Sports Best hits the top of the charts, that's the last episode. I'm out. Peace. Peace. I love Serena. I will be watching the news open. I hope she does it. I think it's super cool. Andrew, if you'd have told me that the world's biggest bike race is underway, I'd have been like, you're crazy. There's no way that the Tour de France is underway. But guess what, Andrew? The Tour de France is underway. Yes. Do you care about the Tour de France? I think it's an amazing feat. I could never do it. I don't understand it. I think because I'm not in the cycling world, I don't really pay attention to it. But I know just watching these documentaries of all the doping and like the blood infusions they got to help oxygenate, the fact that they can do that 21-stage race Blows my mind. But at the end of the day, I don't care. It is 
awesome. I love the Tour de France. I've watched it for like the last 20 years. Um, as you know, the 107th edition was supposed to go off in June. They postponed it to August because of the, the COVIDs roaming the earth. They somehow think they're going to be able to keep everybody safe, doing some testing and social distancing on their bikes. They are currently, whatever day we're taping this, somewhere like between the third and fourth stage. They're, on, right? they're running the fourth stage today on September 1st. Fourth. Look at you. God bless America. Here's all you need to know. It's the Tour de France, so it's held in France. They have some stages outside the country. You need to root for the Frenchman. Julien Alaphilippe. Julien Alaphilippe. He won, I think, stage two or three. How cool would it be if a Frenchman won the Tour de France? I think it'd be awesome. Like, it, like Serena Williams, the American, winning the U.S. Open. It would be great. The Tour de France is awesome. There's lots of cheating. I know you brought that up. But here's the point about it. There's lots of strategy about Oh. protecting the leader in the peloton people sprinting away where do you do you go up the where do you lead the pack do you go up how fast do you go up the mountains do you sprint away on the cobblestones it's beautiful for people that don't follow cycling the peloton is the group that big mass of people that looks like a school of fish and when i learned more about that that, that place is dirty like People are talking, they're elbowing. Like if you're kind of a jerk, the Peloton has, it's like the mob mentality. It'll shoot you out of it. It's not just a high-end in-home bicycle. I was watching the Tour de France, and of course the kids are sitting there and we're watching the Tour de France. They're like, hey dad, what happens if you have to go to the bathroom and you're in the Tour de France? So then you go to the YouTubes and you Google that. Literally, they pull over to the side of the road and a dude just hides behind a tree and they do their business. Oh, wow. It's, <laughs> it's grueling. Uh-oh. 66 foot Five-inch putt was hit. No. 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 We don't, we, we don't have time for this. No, we don't have time for this. Oh, well, we should just wrap it up. The BMW Championship, the PGA event, had some drama. So Dustin Johnson, who's been rolling. DJ. Uncle Kirk's favorite golfer, hit a 45-foot birdie what? putt to force a playoff. He went. He didn't yeah. win. Coming up after him, Rom sets up a 66-foot, oh. five-inch putt. It almost curves 90 degrees. Did you look at this video? I did. It's insane. It's insane. I don't – would it have gone in if it didn't have the pin in? That's a great question. Probably. It picked maybe. up speed. Hit back. I don't know if it counts because he didn't call it glass. <laughs> Do you uh, – John Rom Spanish? You like DJ? I like Rom. I think Uncle Kirk is a, a large disdain for the Romer. Well, you don't, you're neutral. I got to tell you at sports best, we officially, our favorite golfer is Jordan Spieth. Well, I, <laughs> I can't, can I say that he big timed us? No. Cause he hasn't yet. He hasn't. Jordan Spieth tune in later this year. He will be on the show. <laughs> Along with Oprah's buddy. Oh, the rock. Oh, Stegman. <laughs> Stegman. <laughs> She's like naming people, Michael Jordan. This has been Sports Best, presented by Reposted on the Believe Podcast Network, where we get the biggest (laughs) names in sports. Steph Curry. Steph Curry. Jordan Rock. I'm Andrew Keller for Larry Olsen saying thank you for stopping by.